On May the 2nd, uh, 1962, a, uh, an advertisement uh, was put in a, uh, the San Francisco Examiner. It's a very, story, very interesting. And the, the advertisement said this. It said, I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he didn't commit. So a lady had put this advertisement in and said he'd been obviously accused for a crime and uh, the, the concern was that he'd be uh, sentenced to death because of a murder. And it's, it, it went on to say that I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook, maid or housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring about his vindication. So she offered herself 10 years service to anyone, as a maid, to anyone who obviously was qualified, uh, who might be able to defend her husband. So one of San Francisco's attorneys, Vincent Hallinan, read the ad and contacted her, and her name was Gladys Kidd. Um, her husband, Robert uh, Kidd, was being tried for the slaying of an antique, uh, 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 antiques dealer, an elderly antiques dealer. And what happened was that on an ornate sword that he had in the actual thing, they found her husband's uh, fingerprints on it. And they assumed, because they found his fingerprints, and they assumed that that, was, that sword was used in the actual uh, murder, that he was guilty. But when Helen <coughs> actually got involved in the case, he actually ended up proving that that this fellow, um, Robert, um, had visited the store with his brother a long time before, and those fingerprints were there because he was had been playing around with his brother while they were looking at the sword. So he'd actually held it, and they were probably messing around with it, and, and it was there for quite a long time. So after 11 hours, the, the jury found him not guilty. They couldn't prove that it was him, and, uh, and, and, and obviously he was, uh, he was innocent. <clears throat> so the interesting thing was that the attorney, after he'd won the case for the lady, for Gladys, uh, when she offered her services in reward for what he had done, he said, no, I don't want it. He said, don't worry about it. Nice story, isn't it? And when we look at this, uh, when we look at this passage today, when we look at this particular verse, it says, Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. All right? So this is the, what the Lord is uh, directing us to do. So in this, this story... This little story has that, that same verse um, obeyed on two levels. <clears throat> One, the wife, first of all, because of the love that she had for her husband, was willing to, to work for 10 years for nothing for someone, just so that he would be released. And second, the attorney had the opportunity to actually receive that payment, chose not to do it. So he did what... What this verse actually says, and so did she. So they both gave up something that they, they, they could have had because they put themselves in the position of the other person and said, if I was in that position, what would I like to have had done to me? The, the command we're looking at this morning, well, that's only one verse we're looking at. Most of you would know is called the golden rule. The golden, what would be called the golden rule? Well, it's called the golden rule because if you look at it, it says, for this is the law and the prophets. So this, this one rule um, manages to sum up in one sentence um, the very thought of how God would have men and women deal with men and women. It sums up also all those laws about how we are to deal with each other, that shall not kill, that shall not steal, or not do all these different things. It, it sums all those laws up into one and says, well, you know, if you're not sure, how about you put yourself in the position of the other person on how to deal with them and think about how you would like to be uh, treated in that situation. So it sums up in a very simple way what the expectation is. So they call it the golden rule because of this, 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 uh, this summing up. So it basically says, put yourself in the place of the other and ask what you would expect of them and then let that determine the course of action that you would take. So once you know, once you think what that person would like if you were them, then you decide what to do based on that. Now we'll talk a bit more in depth as we're going along this thing. But I believe 
that there's so much heartache and sin and bitterness in this world and also in our churches, unfortunately, because people follow this rule very simply. The main problem is that too many Christians are so caught up with themselves rather than being able to look at it from the other person's perspective that they refuse to give up something that, that everyone in our culture especially believes that they have and they are rights. I don't have to do that. My right is that I don't have to do these types of things. I have the right to be able to judge. I have the right to do this, that and the other. But this verse is saying to you, give up those rights. Give up what is rightfully yours, even to be angry and upset and hold grudges or vengeance or whatever else this world says that we can do. And it says, give those up, put yourself in the place of the other person and then do to them what you would have done to you. Because you know something? Um, oftentimes when we judge other people, and I'm maybe getting a bit ahead of myself at the moment, but I, I'm starting to get in the zone. I have, to, uh, I have to go on and forget my notes. Sometimes what we do is when we judge other people and we don't put ourselves in their position, what we are saying is that we are better than them, that we haven't ever fallen into the same trap that they've, that they've actually fallen into. So when someone offends you, when someone does something wrong against you, if we judge that person and say, I'm not going to put myself in their position because they don't deserve it, well, then what you're basically saying is, I've never done what they've done. And that's totally untrue. Because we all fall into the same traps of judging and doing wrong to each other and, and being either unforgiving or uncaring and, and, and we say things that we shouldn't say and we do things that we shouldn't do. Um, so if we, if we are genuine and honest, we should always leave our door open to do that. Did you know this rule comes up in almost every religion in the world? Strange, isn't it? But let me, share, let me share some of the, I'll quote some of the other ways that the other religions actually uh, portray this verse, right? Because some people say that Jesus borrowed the idea from someone else, that he copied it from a previous uh, teacher or, or something along those lines. But let me, and now listen carefully, okay? Because I'm going to share with you the way the other major religions actually explain this verse. The Hindu religion says, this is the psalm of duty. Do naught to others, which if done to thee, would cause thee pain. You get that? So don't do to others, what if it was done to you, would cause you pain. Buddhist religion. Hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Fair enough? The Jewish tradition. What is hateful to you, do not to your fellow men. That is the entire law. All the rest is commentary. In the Talmud, in the Baha'i faith, he should not wish for others that which he does not wish for himself, nor promise that which he does not fulfil. Confucius said, what you do not want others to do to you, do not do to others. Okay? Pitticus from Rome said, do not do to your neighbour what, you uh, what you would take ill from him. Thales Avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. Avoid doing what you would blame others for. I think it's a nice way of putting it too. Uh, Epictus. What thou avoidest suffering thyself, seek not to impose on others. Have you spotted the difference between what everyone else, how everyone else puts this particular law and the way the Lord puts it? Have you spotted that difference? They all say, don't do what you would want to have done to you. How does Jesus put it? Do. Do to others what you would have done to you. Now, you might think there's not much difference there. The difference is huge. The difference is dramatic. Not just small, but large. One stops you from doing something, right? And says, don't do something, but doesn't force you to actually do something positive. One stops you from doing something negative. The other actually doesn't just stop you from doing something negative. It actually says to you, now do something positive. Do something that will, that will take you out of your comfort zone and force you to actually do something beneficial for the other person. That's the difference between 
the other religions, the way they put it and the way Christ puts it. Either way, while most of the other religions have a version of the golden rule, it's Christ who declares it in a positive form. And this is the major difference. While one tries to avoid doing the wrong thing, the other not only avoids the wrong, but the expectation is to do good. The world focuses on the negative. It sets rules on what you shouldn't do. In God's economy, though, his expectation goes beyond not doing something. It goes beyond the simple thinking of men. Jesus teaches men that God will judge you not on what you haven't done, or where you, you did something you weren't supposed to do. God will judge you on what you should have done, but you didn't do. Incredible. God will judge you that if, if you have a circumstance in your life where you could have done something and you turn your back on that, that situation, God will judge you on what you didn't do that you should have done. That's more scary than any law that I've read. You might think this law is, is a wonderful law, and it is. It's great law. When you're in a situation where you're struggling to work out what do I do in the circumstance, fall back on this law because it will get you out of, of problems most of the time. What it doesn't do, though, it doesn't make our life easier. It makes it harder because it then forces us to have to examine ourselves when we have an opportunity to do something and we bother doing that and walking the other way. Turn with me chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 are, very, are, are verses that we often read and we, most of us have memorised and we understand it and these are one of the first verses we use to share with people who don't know the Lord and to explain to them the difference between religion and Christianity. And it simply says this, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what this basic, uh, these couple of verses tell us is that religion or the Christianity is not something that, that is earned, where your salvation is earned, because that doesn't make any sense at all. Because in Christianity, there is salvation. In every religion, there is you saving yourself by all the things that you do, by all the laws that you keep, by all the commands that you follow. Every other religion in the world says, follow A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you know something? If you break a few of those along the way, you're going to pay for it. Christianity says that, yes, there are rules. But guess what? You failed them already. And that you have no hope in your life of actually all those laws. So God has sent you a saviour. That's what salvation is all about. That God had to send a saviour into this world to save us. Just like someone who's drowning in the middle of the ocean, no hope of actually ever reaching the shore, God had to send us a saviour to save us from our sin, to save us from the very thing that would condemn us to an eternity in hell. So that is the basic message of the gospel, that God is ready to give you salvation as a gift. Even though you didn't deserve it, even though you still won't be able to keep all the laws and do all the things you're supposed to do, even though he's still going to have to be patient with you for the rest of, rest of your life until you've been redeemed at the end, God gives you something that is absolutely precious. So it says, not of works. And it's not of works because we can't earn our way to heaven. So when I share the gospel and when some of you share the gospel with other people, the first thing they think in their minds is, I'm okay. So if you say to someone, do you deserve to go, to go to heaven? The first 99.9% .9 of them will say, yes, I deserve to go to heaven. And then you find out when you scratch a little bit deeper that they're comparing themselves to everyone else in the world and what they've done is set up their own standard. But when you open their eyes to God's standard and you say, okay, the Bible says thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? And they can't really, in most cases, deny that they've stolen something in their life, anything. They become thieves all of a sudden. The Bible says that if that a woman and lust after her, the Bible says you've become an adulterer in your heart. The Bible says that if you've ever told a lie, you are then a, a liar. The Bible says that if you have done coveted someone else's things, wanted someone else's things, you've looked after them, looked at them in a way which, and you've said, I wish I had that. You've coveted in your heart. So 
pretty much four out of four people with four out of, get four out of four. And then you say, well, there's still six to go of the Ten Commandments here. It's easy to show the people to, to show people the things that, that they weren't supposed to do, that they've automatically... These are impossible to deny. But what about the positive things? Have you loved the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? Have you kept the Sabbath holy all your life? Have you honoured your parents the way they should, they, that God expects you to honour your parents? Those positive things, the things that you should have done, are the things that, that wreck a person even more. Because everyone deep down in their hearts knows they haven't loved God the way they're supposed to love God. They haven't obeyed Him. They haven't honoured Him. They haven't honoured their parents. They haven't kept the Sabbath. They haven't done the things they're supposed Sometimes people just mark off the things where it says, Thou shalt not. And do you, do you notice that people, when they look at the Ten Commandments, they say, Oh, that's just a list of thou shalt nots. But the law is not just a list of thou shalt nots in God's economy. It's a list of thou shalt. And this is the law that this, this passage, this particular commandment, includes the, shalt, the shalts and the shalt nots. All in one. But it's focused on person to person. It doesn't include the relationship with God. It, it tells us how we are to be with each other. But look at verse 10 in Ephesians with me for a moment. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So do you see that? We are his workmanship. God has created us to, to fulfill works that he has preordained for us. What does that tell you? It tells you that God has things for us to do. And sometimes we don't do them. He's created us in order to work the works all the way along. The problem is sometimes I don't work where he wants me to work for me or it may be too much of a sacrifice to me or whatever else, whatever excuse I might give. And most of us are filled with or have some sort of regret. I want to say filled, but have some sort of regret where if we look back at our lives, we saw an opportunity where we could have spoken to someone, encouraged someone, helped someone in need, and we, and we said, no, I'm too busy. I've got too much stuff on in my life at the moment. I can't handle that. I can't afford that. And we, give it, we gave an excuse where we could have helped. God will judge us on these things as much as he judges on the, on the sins that we commit where we shouldn't have done those things. If God expects that we would do good to someone when we are given the chance to do it and, and we fail to do it, what then? Now, let's continue with this passage. See that word, therefore? You know one of the things that I remember about Alan's preaching? One of, the, one of the things that stood out to me when I started going to Meadowview Baptist Church was, and some of you are smiling already, is that, and this is about 15, 20 years ago now, when I first heard Alan preach, is that he'd have a common saying, and he, and he used to say, whenever you see a therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? <laughs> I think it's a good rule. Because a therefore is there for a reason. It's there because it's continuing up the previous thought. And sometimes we look at a therefore and we just disjoint it from all the, all the verses before. So next time you, you see a therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? And if we look back a little bit at the previous verses, we start to get an idea of what it's there for. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not. This is the beginning of that chapter. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Okay, now they're two critical verses here. But then he goes on to speak in verses 3 to, uh, to 6. He speaks about not being a hypocrite. When you judge your brother and you've got the same, you know, when you say my brother's got a, a speck in his eye and I've got a log in mine eye and, and you fail to see the log in your own eye. And Jesus says, fix up your log in your own eye before you go looking at your brother's. And then he talks about judging, being careful about judging other people. And then he also says, judge. 
before you start giving out stuff that it's, people aren't ready for as well. And then in verse 7 it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And then verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give things to them that ask him? Then, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The therefore in this sentence indicates the Lord is wrapping up an idea. And if we simply start at the beginning of the chapter, there is a simple rule that God, would, that God will, in his judgment of people, use when he, when he forms that judgment. That they which judge harshly will themselves be judged in the same way. In other words, when someone has wronged you or does not live up to your particular standards, understand that you also fail to live up to God's standards. So when you judge someone else, how can you expect God to judge you less, less harshly than you judge them? <coughs> if you judge the other who is a sinner like you harshly, how can you expect God to judge you lightly? That would mean that God should somehow overlook your hypocrisy. And he never does. Our hypocrisy um, is like an open book to God. Now, sometimes we think that God isn't the brightest. We think that we, co we can cover up our hypocrisy and, and our envy and all those things that, that lurk on the inside. We think God doesn't see those, but he does. If we think in our minds that we can judge other people and sit in some sort of a judgment upon them and, and measuring them by our own standards, that would mean that God would be happy with you and I somehow demonstrating that we are somehow holier than he is. Think about it. If I judge someone more harshly than God would judge them, what am I saying about God? That God would somehow be happy with me or comfortable with me sitting on his judgment seat in his place or would get away with it. If you've judged others in this way when they've wronged you or someone, what you are also saying is that you don't trust God to judge in the matter. You have to intervene and judge and then follow up that judgment with some sort of penalty for this person, what are you saying about God's judgment? You're saying that, I don't trust that God will properly judge in this matter, so I have to actually intervene and make sure that I do the job for him. Who are you setting up yourself as? Is it dangerous? Oh, yeah. Very dangerous. Of course it is. Because we aren't better than God. We should never step in to do God's job for him. This is the height of pride and arrogance. Do we understand why Satan fell from heaven and was judged by the Lord? Because the scriptures tell us that he was lifted up in his, in his own heart with pride and he wanted to be sitting where God was sitting in, in judgment. He wanted to call the shots. He wanted to set the standards. He wanted to be like the Most High. Well, to be lifted up in the midst of other sinners like ourselves and to judge shows the same sense of pride and arrogance, doesn't it? But thank God that he doesn't finish that. He doesn't finish it at the, the way you, you judge, you will be judged. But he continues on a positive point. He doesn't finish it there. He goes on to say that God is the giver of good things. And included in those good things are salvation from our own sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal upon our lives and the grace to live in a way that causes me to look at people the right way instead of the wrong way. 
His grace allows me to, to fulfill this law. It allows me the, the ability to be able to see other people and to put their needs before my needs and to do to them or for them what love did for me. Parents with children, you have more of an inkling, you have more of an understanding of what I'm talking about because of your own children. How often are your children thankful for everything you do to them? How often do they show that wonderful, you know, when you discipline them, when you when you set boundaries for them, are they thankful? Well, no. I wasn't thankful when I was growing up. I only appreciated what my parents did for me really after I had my own children. But God is the same with us. God gives us good things. And the scriptures say that if you are, who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will God give us good things? And what's he talking about? He's talking about the ability to be able to live these laws, to live it. Because this is the desire of a person who wants to be in the kingdom of God, who is in it. The desire should be, I want to glorify you because I love you so much. Father, I want to live for you. And the Bible says that if you have that desire in your heart, he will give you the desires of your heart because he's doing it for your own good. So when the scriptures say over here that, that this verse um, sums up the law and the prophets, well, basically it sums up Moses and the law that he gave through, from Mount Sinai, and it sums up all the teaching of the prophets and all the messages that God gave to them on how people were to deal with each other. And this is the foundation of what determines the way we should behave with each other is that we are all subject to God's laws. We are breakers of those laws. That is the foundation. The foundation is God sets the standard. We, I, have broken the standard. Then, when I'm dealing with someone else who's also a lawbreaker like me, um, and knowing that there's only one good in this, uh, in this universe who lived and walked on this earth, and that was Jesus then how should I deal with other people who are the same as me? That's the way we should be dealing with one another. It's putting people on the same level as yourself and not thinking of yourself or myself higher than what we actually are. This scripture forces us to put people on the same level as ourselves and reckon that we are as much obliged to them as they are to us. And we have a duty to God's grace and law as much as they have a duty to God's grace and law. Now, this command, as I've mentioned before, is actually active. It's proactive, as we, uh, we often speak about in business. Turn, with Luke, turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 30, because it gives us, I think, one of the best illustrations of what this law actually means. Now, you've all, most of us know this story. We've read it many times. We've, we've dissected it probably a thousand ways. But understand the story today, and as we read the story, think about what this verse, what the verse we're looking at, how it applies, okay? Do unto others as you would have done unto you. And it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, that's his clothes, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by the chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, 
when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy unto him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. This is a wonderful illustration of this law in action. It's if you were that if you were that person that had been robbed and it had been it had been um, uh, stolen, had your stuff stolen by the uh, by the thieves, what would you have wanted done to you? Wouldn't you have wanted someone to come and help you? Well, I think the answer is yes to that one. I don't think that there's anyone here who, if they had all their stuff stolen, they'd been beaten and robbed, that they'd they'd, be, they'd want to be left on the side of the road. Yet, in this particular passage, two men who were meant to be holy men, a Levite and a priest, came by, looked at him and said, I'm not touching that guy over there, and they went on their own way. And someone who wasn't meant to be a really nice person went there and did the exact thing they were supposed to do. He put himself in that person's position. He asked himself a question, what would I like to have done to me if I was in that, in that, in that place? And he went and did the exact thing. That's what this law is about. See, those other guys didn't, didn't do anything evil to the guy, did they? They didn't beat him up. They didn't rob him. They didn't break any laws that, that, you know, that our society says that, you know, that, that are laws that you shouldn't break. But yet they failed to do the thing that summed up the whole of the law that God gave us in the Old Testament. And that was to do to others as you would have done to you. And God will judge people on the basis of what they could have done but failed to do. This is the law, and this is where people so often fail to understand what the righteousness of God is. The righteousness of God is an active righteousness. It does things. God doesn't stay still. If you haven't realised it, from the beginning of Genesis, when there was nothing, God started moving. And the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. And God set the whole thing in motion. God moves. It's the devil that would like us to stay still. We as Christians should keep on moving all the time. And unfortunately, moving can be painful. Moving can bring you to a place where you think, where am I here? But the beautiful thing is that God is with us every step of the way. And even though we find ourselves in sometimes places that he has brought us to that might be uncomfortable, he's doing it for our own good. And he does it for the good of those around us. So remember, when God opens a door for you, be ready to walk through it. Because you might not have a second chance to do it later on. Let's look at a couple of other passages where they actually say the same thing in the New Testament in the same way or a different way. Matthew 22, 37. Matthew 22, 37 says... Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Do you notice the way he finishes that? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Very similar to the way he actually mentioned the other one. Okay? So, love has this aspect of putting yourself in the other person's position and being active about being a benefit to them, it has that incorporated into it. Turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And here the Lord gives us a more detailed look at what, what the expectation is about doing good to those around us. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, 
forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. He's wrapped up that passage with the same command. Do to men as you would have done to you. But it's interesting because he's talking about loving your enemies. So enemy, people that hate you, people that despitefully use you, people that would smite you on a cheek and rob you. He says, put yourself in their position and do to them what you would have done to you. So even if you were doing something wrong, how would you like to be treated? Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that spitefully use you. If someone gives you a whack on the cheek, give them the other one as well. If someone wants to rob you, give them some more as well. Give him actually more than what he's come to rob you. And him that asks you, give him. <coughs> this is not an easy command. This is not something that, that the average person can do. Yeah. To give to someone who hates you. To bless someone who's cursing you. To love someone who is your enemy. That is not the way the world works. But why? Because this is the way God works. God works like this. Because even though we rob God of his glory, we have robbed God of his tithes and everything else that, that he deserved from us, God continues to love us. The Bible says that the average man driving down the street, is an enemy of God. He refuses to acknowledge God's existence and to bow down before him as his creator. And God still loves that person. It says, for those who have cursed God, God doesn't curse back. God is asking us to be like him. This is what this whole motto and moral is over here. And I include this particular passage or these passages because I want you to understand that this, this command has much to do with love. And those two fit together. When love is your motive, you will be much more ready to put yourself in the position of the other person. If you love no one, you ain't going to be putting yourself in their position and then going to the effort of actually of actually helping them and being a benefit to them. You won't do it. Love will cause you to do it. Love will be your motivation to do that. Um, if, you, if, you, if a person does something wrong to you, love will cause you to forgive that person. It will cause you to be patient with that person. It will cause you to be a benefit to that person, even though they may be your enemy for a really long time. But in, the, in your mind... You want to be a benefit of that person because why? You want that person to come and know the Lord and also to grow. Is it easy? No, because love was never easy. And the Lord, the Lord proved that love was never easy because he loved everyone that he came across. He told them all the truth and he did it in love and then they ended up crucifying him for it. Love doesn't guarantee a return. It doesn't guarantee a return either. That's the problem with this with this law. The pro when I say problem, problem from an, from a uh, from a worldly sense. Jesus was not saying um, you need to be nice to other people so they'll be nice to you. He didn't say that. Jesus says, "Be nice to people, be good to people, regardless of how they are with you, regardless, and not expecting anything in return." That's the hard thing in this whole, this whole caper. Because you may go through your whole life being nice to someone who doesn't like you. And you may think to yourself, why aren't they liking me? Why are they being nasty to me? Or why do they continue to be bad to me? But the Bible simply continues to say, continue to be good to them. And you know something? Maybe they will be nice to you. But your expectation is not that. We don't do it for that reason. We don't we're not good to other people because the expectation is they're going to somehow give us a return back. But there are benefits to doing these, following this law. There are benefits and they do, they do show up. And it's simply this. There are, there are a couple of ways you can live your life. 
You can live your life as if you're the richest person in the world. And tell me, tell me, Christian, are you poor? Do you lack? What is it that you don't have? Because I can tell you what you have. You have heaven. You have God on your side. You have blessings that you can't count. You have his ear. You have the ear of the Almighty ready to listen to your requests. You have fellowship within a church. You have so many things that you can't even count that are a benefit to you. Now, you can live your life focusing on the things you don't have, or you can live your life as the richest person in this world which you are, because our Father is the owner of all the cattle on all the hills in this world. He owns every asset. There is nothing that he doesn't have, and we are the inheritors. We are his children. So you can live your life being the poorest and considering yourself poor, or you can live your life believing you are absolutely rich. And you know something? If you've got riches that you, you can never even imagine, how will that cause you to treat other people around you? Won't it cause you to be a benefit to them? Once you want to give what you have to them, and they can have the same thing too, there's two ways you can live. You can live like a pauper, or you can live as a child of God. Giving shows others the true character of God who came to rescue us when we didn't deserve it. That's the other thing that it does. Not only, not only with this thing do you understand that you are in a position of wealth, it also shows the people around that God... You want to open up some of the windows? I think it's getting a bit, um, a bit warm in here. Um, it shows people what God's heart is like in this whole caper because we are representative of him. So if we live our lives the way he wants us to live it, what happens is that people look at us and they say, oh, wow, look at that wonderful Christian over there. Look at the way how gentle and kind and loving and caring this person is. And the first thing I'll think of is that's the God that they serve. But if we don't behave that way, the first name that will be blasphemed is God's. Because they'll look at us and they'll say, what a nasty person that, God, that person is over there. How uncaring, how unloving. And whose name will be blasphemed? God's. How we live our lives will determine how people see God. And the other thing that there's a benefit to this whole living, this, this particular commandment, is that living this, this commandment raises our own expectations upon God himself. It raises our expectation. You see... If you're not giving to anyone else, how likely are you going to be to come to God to ask him for things? You're going to be comfortable going to God when you don't give anything to anyone else? You won't. So you, it, what happens is you don't give anything to anyone else and then the guilt begins to set in and you will stop coming to God asking him for things. But you know something? If you give more, if you are liberal with your giving and you love you will more likely be able to come to God with confidence and say, God, I need more. And God will give you more. That's the way it operates. How can you ask if you never have given? But if we expect good things from God and remember that we will receive the same measure by which we measure out to other people. So if you're stingy, you aren't going to get much when you come and say, this is what I want, this is what I need. But if you're not giving it away, then God's not going to keep on, keep on giving you more. The way we measure out to other people is the way God measures out to us. Be liberal with your love. Be liberal. I don't mean liberal as in the Liberal Party. I don't mean liberal as in uh, as being loose with your doctrine. I mean liberal as in giving generously. There is an encouragement here for us. When one who has been rescued from eternal darkness and has been given hope in Christ, they can live this commandment because the love of God has been shared in your heart. And that love can then flow to other people around you.
When someone has been freed from the condemnation of sin and is free to live for God, then they are able to help free other people as well. You have that opportunity. You have that ability. You can do it. You can live this commandment. You can do it. And you can be a blessing to everyone around you and you can bless God because of your life. And the beautiful thing about this commandment is that it can overcome evil. I'll just read this passage to you. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Good can overcome evil. But it means that we need to trust in God. It means that if you trust that God will judge properly at the end, then you can continue to give. Because God's watching everything that's going on. God hasn't missed anything here. Avenge not yourselves. Let God do the avenging. You just keep being nice. You just keep being good. You just keep giving them what they don't deserve. And the Bible says that you're heaping coals of, coals of fire on their heads. Now, that's been a long time since I've actually spoken about that specific thing. But that's, that's an idiom, in a sense. It's, it's an old saying where you're heaping coals of fire on their head. And I think what it means, and I haven't... Maybe we should get our, our Jewish scholar over here to, um, to let us know. But you're basically, by, by heaping hot, hot coals on someone's head, you're actually making them feel more and more guilty, in a sense. When you keep on doing good to someone who's nasty towards you, eventually they're going to crack, aren't they? It's hard to keep on being nasty to someone when they're being good to you. So, let me wrap it up with just three, three thoughts. Evangelism. This, this law can be applied directly to evangelism. Okay, If you were lost in sin, now I'm just trying to give you examples of, of how you can actually use this law. If you were lost in sin... What would you? How would you want people to treat you? If you were lost, how would you want people to treat you? Would you want them to warn you about sin? Would you want them to warn you about hell? Would you want them to tell you about the love of God and the, and the wonderful thing that He's ready to give? Of course you would. Would you? Maybe, maybe you don't want to hear it. Maybe that's a, that's a, that's a thing as well. But you'd want to know it. If you're on the road to hell, you'd want someone to show enough love and concern about your destination. How about the way you, the way you share the gospel? How would you want someone to speak to you? Would you want someone to speak to you judgmentally? Or would you want someone to share that gospel out of concern and love? How would you like to have the gospel shared with you? Ephesians chapter 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Speak the truth in love. How about correcting one another? You know, it doesn't matter how, how mature you are as a Christian. It's never nice to be rebuked. It's never easy to be told you've done the wrong thing. But guess what? We do the wrong things. We make mistakes. And we need to be told sometimes. Because if, if my brother doesn't come and tell me, listen, you're making a mistake over here... How about you, you go, you, you do it like this. If no one's there to, to help me with my faults, then where am I going to go? How would you like to be approached when you've made a mistake? Is it easy to be hit over the head with a rubber mallet? Or to be told with love and say, brother, let me pull you aside. Let me share something with you that I think will encourage you, but, but also is a rebuke for you. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, means argue, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. God wants us to be meek with one another. And finally, how we treat our families, our friends, our neighbours. You know, there are so many grudges there are so many 
There are so many hurts that people carry around with them for all their lives, which stops them from having a proper relationship with someone else. In our churches, I'm sure there are plenty where someone has stopped talking to someone else because they said something wrong to them or someone has offended you or someone has, has done something that you didn't think was right, so you're going to keep away from that person, you've given up on that person over there. Um, how many lives would be changed if we applied this verse? Yeah, sometimes one gesture of goodwill, one little thing that you do that's nice for the other person can break down a barrier that's been there for years. For years, by just even a phone call, most people are often ready to forgive. But sometimes we don't allow them the opportunity. You may have been the one who did something wrong to someone else. Think about this. You, there may be someone who you've hurt and they, got up, they were upset with you. And they've been upset with you, you know, for a long, very long time. So you don't call them. You give up, you've given up because you don't want to go through the pain of them telling you off again. But you know something? That person may just be there waiting for a phone call from you. And you may be able to restore a relationship because of that risk that you take to get hurt one more time. How do you treat your family? How do you treat your friends? How do you treat your enemies? That's what this verse is about. How we treat one another. Do you follow this rule in your life? If you don't, then why not? <coughs> Is there someone that you know today who needs to be shown some act of love? Or maybe going through a difficult time? Or maybe even in the wrong? Do you know that the love of God leads a person to repentance? We... Um, are blessed because God has extended that type of love to us. If you haven't experienced that love yet, then you can't live this rule. You can't understand it. You can try it, but it will cut against every grain in your life. If you're a Christian, you can live it. But are you? Let's examine our hearts today. God bless you. Thank you.